guys. Living in a world that's blowing itself to hell as fast as anyone can arrange it. So let's talk about the Thin Red Line tonight on the Movie Ladder Podcast, where we are all about cinematic connections. Each week, we are discussing a movie that connects to the movie podcast. My name is Zach Brooks, and as always, I am joined by... Alex Sadansky. And Brendan Fitzpatrick. And last week, we discussed The Great Escape, and due to an ensemble cast World War II connection... As I said earlier, we will be discussing The Thin Red Line, the 1998 Terrence Malick film uh, about World War II, about a battle and an ensemble of soldiers in that battle. Then at the end of the episode, we will decide our next movie based on you, best favorite listeners, and us, your uh, sergeants and hosts. We will be spoiling the Thin Red Line as we talk about it. So if you've not seen the Thin Red Line, we will either put a timestamp in this description for you to jump ahead to when we do our ladder discussion for next week. Or also you can pause this podcast. You can go watch that movie and then come back and listen. And uh, I think we should have a very good discussion because there's a lot to chew on with this with this movie. And uh, we always recommend that you do that. As always, you can submit your feedback, ratings, questions, comments to us at Ladder Movie on Letterboxd and on Twitter or the movie ladder at gmail.com on email. Guys, how's it going? Uh, like you said, we're uh, living in a world that's slowly blowing itself to hell. Other than that, things are great. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird week to be uh, watching a movie about the military, I will say. But um, Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm in the in the midst of it. As, as you guys know, I live in Washington, D.C. I just got back from a trip uh, to my mom's house in South Carolina yesterday and came back to a complete military lockdown. Um, curfew started at 7 last night and tonight, and there are still, like, about 100,000 people still out in the streets uh, protesting, surrounding the White House, charging downtown. Hopefully things don't get too bad. Um, and it's a good cause. Good luck to Good luck to everybody that's out there. Stay safe. And Av, how are you? I'm doing the same. Less, uh, less affected by all the craziness so far, but you know, just trying as well. Stay inside, stay safe. Um, unless you know you feel like you need to uh, be out there protesting, which obviously uh, it's a worthy cause. And those who want to be out there should be out there, despite the fact that we have a pandemic. I don't know what the answer is to that, but yes, um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone should just. Uh, Hopefully everyone is well, uh, um, staying safe and not causing any problems. Three of us. All right. Obviously, the three of us are, uh, you know, thinking about everybody protesting. I think, you know, we are at a loss of, of what to say, what to do. You know, we hope that this uh, this podcast can provide a little bit of a distraction for people who need that. And uh, that is that is the goal of this podcast. It is it is to be fun. And uh, so we're going to do our best to make it fun. And our thoughts are with everybody. And um, yeah, I agree. I think it's. And we have a fun one today. Yeah, it's so fun. Guys, yes. Woody Harrelson blew his own butt off. I mean, that's yeah. that's my biggest takeaway is that he literally yeah. took it up the ass. And that, that's hilarious to me. So. Um, yeah, d- watch watch what you're pulling. Don't pull the pin. Um, yeah. We did say we were going to be spoiling the thin red line. So I guess, <laughs> I guess it's, we're already there. Um, all right, so before we get into that, we got a couple things to attend to, of course. Um, let's start with us. Uh, so we did get some feedback on our last podcast. 
uh, Jim Crumley, fan of World War II. He, well, I don't. I guess I shouldn't say he's a big fan of World War II. He he knows a lot about World War II. He knows a lot more about the context of World War II. <laughs> big and, fan of World War II. Yeah. Big fan. Big uh, fan. And he also uh, had a lot of feedback in terms of what we had said on the Great Escape podcast in terms of giving us some um, some context around it. So I'm going to throw it to a to a voicemail that we got from Jim Crumley, and let's hear what he has to say about the Great Escape. Hi, thanks guys for giving me a chance to talk a little bit about the history behind the Great Escape. First off, let me just say, I'm not a World War II history expert. Oops. Anyway, I think that many of the shortcomings of the Great Escape that the guys talked about last week were due to the fact that in the 60s, they could assume that the average person knew a lot about World War II, but the same isn't true anymore. For example, the internal politics in Germany played a big part in the, some of the plot elements of the movie. So the Luftwaffe the German Air Force was in charge of running the prison camps for the captured airmen. So the Luftwaffe was motivated to treat the prisoners well because if, so the men of the Luftwaffe were motivated to treat the Allied prisoners well because if word of mistreatment got back to the Allies, the, Luftwaffe, the captured Luftwaffe could be mistreated as well. Reasoning partially explains the meeting between the leader of the prisoners, Ramsey, and the commandant at the beginning of the movie. They treated the war more as a as gentlemen would and and played by a set of rules that the SS, on the other hand, doesn't see in the movie. The SS was the special army of the Nazi party, and they didn't care about the rules. They're the ones who guarded the prison camps and also the ones who killed the 50 at the end of the movie. So there was always tension between the SS and Luftwaffe. Anyway, thanks again for letting me share my thoughts. All right, yeah, that's definitely very helpful. And it's definitely yeah. not something that I was familiar with, despite being probably more familiar than average uh, with you know, World War II history. Um, although not really like the battle type stuff. That's just like never been my interest has been military battles. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, given my uh, my background, World War Two and uh, the accompanying events that went along with it are were always talked about a lot in my home, but mm. never, uh, never into that level of detail. So that's definitely very enlightening. And we appreciate that from Jim. Yeah, definitely. yeah that's, that's great feedback. I think my thing is like I like you said, I think I've never watched a movie where it was just a prisoner of war camp during World War II, so I didn't have the distinction to make between the way POWs would be treated and the way, you know, the Jewish people were treated in the internment camps and death camps during World War II. So I think I was as surprised as you guys were to find out about this, and this is really good information. Um, Jim's, Jim's a really smart guy, and I really appreciate him calling in. Um, yeah, anytime uh, anyone has something like this they want to send in, they're more than welcome to you. Yeah, and of course it makes perfect sense once you think about yeah. it that like not everybody who was in Germany between the years 1930-1945 was aligned with the Nazis even if like they didn't speak up or do anything about it like most people, you know, just went along with their jobs and tried not to do any I'm not saying most people, I don't know. I don't want to speak cavalierly, but that's just the way things generally work in real life right. is that there's there's people that are deeply committed to causes and then there are people that are just like kind of indifferent um and just like don't want to be bothered and don't right. want to get think, don't, don't want to get shot so like <laughs> they just do follow what they're supposed to you know keep their heads down 
Right, but as Jim said, it's also important to make the distinction between the two types of camps because, you know, the reason that maybe the the POWs were treated differently is because of the rules of war that certain parts of the Nazi party were following at that time in order to not have their own men mistreated at the hands of the Allies. So it's sort of this double-edged, like, you know, two, two-faced coin thing that they're pulling where if we can appear to be nice guys to the military people that we have, maybe they w- will not look deeper at what we're doing over here. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. the left uh, hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. If we focus here, they won't focus at what the really bad stuff we're doing over here. So I think that Jim's uh, voicemail, which, yeah, as you said, Brendan, uh, it's, you know, awesome that he sent that in. We love getting emails from people with feedback, but it's great to be able to, like, put these voicemails in. Um, So, you know, if anybody ever wants to send any feedback, we love looking back as well as looking forward. So that's cool. Um, And I think that explains, you know, Jim's Jim's voicemail explains a couple of things. I mean, one, we brought up a lot on that podcast. We're like, why didn't they just, like, shoot the guys when they were trying to, you know, like we would expect they would just shoot the guys when they're trying to escape. And we thought they were too friendly. And. You know, it's because of some of these internal politics between the uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, but the SS and the uh, Luftwaffe, uh, yeah. Luftwaffe, I think. Um, and and also explains that scene in the Nazi or I guess in the in the camp uh, office where there is mm. the guy kind of says, hail Hitler, but like doesn't really like commit to it. Right. Um, He's got the emotions. Right. Exactly. And, th- and that kind of explains why that is. And then at the end of the movie, we do see the SS like kind of take over and. uh Right. And, and that's where we get that tragic that tragic gut punch at the end of the movie. So um, and I think that actually, you know, as we start talking about the thin red line later on in this podcast, that might tie into some connections between the two movies. Uh, Absolutely. Because that's definitely a theme, the thin red line. So uh, thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, I thank you for after I said Jim's a World War II uh, expert, and then you said I'm no expert in World War II. So I definitely, <laughs> I definitely be, being making a correction in his corrections. Right. It seems to me you are the expert, Zach. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I am. I am no World War II expert uh, at all, as you will find out as we talk about the thin red line. So, Doctor uh, Gamut. Yeah. All right. So before we uh, we get into that, do you guys have movies that you want to talk about that you watched this week? Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Um, I, on Sunday, watched E.T. with my daughters. Um, I had not seen it probably since I was like 10 or 12 years old. Um, and I, for some reason, my daughter for the last month, my older one, I've been telling her like we should watch E.T. And she's like just like gotten really stubborn about it and just decided she refuses to watch it. She'll watch any movie other than E.T. I don't know what that was about. But eventually I finally uh, wore her down. And of course she loved it. And they both loved it. And I loved it. Um, it's like I, I didn't remember like how like simple it is in so many ways because it's really just like mostly a family drama with like mm. this sci-fi story kind of happening in the background. Um, and it's just like it does such a good job of just like doing everything from the kids' perspectives. Like it's like not quite to the point of the, like the way on Peanuts where like the, the, the grown-ups just like talk and the kids don't even understand what they're saying. But like there are scenes in this movie where it's like obvious like the grown-ups are just like it's like shot from like below and like the grown-ups are talking or specifically the mom or like sometimes it's the doctors later and they're just like talking so fast and like so indecipherably that the kids have no idea what's going on um and that was it's just it's very very well done um in that regard and just this like really sweet simple family drama about and a story about friendship and you know treating people with respect regardless of where they come from or what they look like um and that you know a kid's 
you know, naivety is probably the only thing that could really do that. Because once we get older, we all have our own biases and experiences that kind of affects everything that we do. Um, yeah. and it's really, it's really, uh, it's a, it's like a once in a generation movie, and I was like really happy to be able to share it with them. Yeah, at some point, I need to revisit that movie. Um, yeah. I have not seen it in a long time. Of how old is your younger daughter? She is turning four in July. And your older daughter is six? Uh, she is turning seven in October. So, oh, yeah. man. Okay. Wow. Yeah, no, they're probably a little bit on the young side, uh, especially yeah. the younger one. But, like, she got enough. Like, and she just enjoyed it. She liked whenever E.T. was on, in the in the frame. Like, she thought he was, like, adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was enough there for her. The older one understood pretty much the whole movie. Yeah. My E.T. Yeah. memory is that when I was, I think I was three years old. Um, yeah, because I must have been, I couldn't have been much older than that because my brother wasn't alive yet. Um, my mom and I watched it and it was during the day my dad was at work and the movie scared me so much. It probably scared my mom too, because my mom is, uh, gets very scared Mm -hmm. by movies. Uh, but the end of that movie, when the FBI move or whoever it is, I think it's, yeah, it's not really made clear, which I think goes partially to like the kid's perspective thing. It's like, it's, you never really know what their deal is. Yeah. Uh, that part scared me so much that I was like a wreck and we had to call my dad home from work to, uh, come and like console me. So, oh, wow. yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> that, that's what I always remember about ET. And then I also remember I had this ET book that was in my room when I was like older. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was not three years old. I was older than that, but I was like, you know, probably eight, nine years old. And, uh, then that book, the cover of that book would always scare me as well. Like I, I would like see it at night. It would be one of those things in my room that would always like terrify me, because um, it was just like an ET. It was like an ET, and I just found ET scary. But uh, I eventually got over that, luckily. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I obviously as a kid in the eighties grew up on this movie as well. Um, you know, it's it's not something you register when you watch it as a kid. But ET is basically a divorce movie. It's like yeah. a kid a kid learning about divorce and dealing with it. Like the entire family is dealing with it. And wait, well, who's getting divorced? Are the parents getting divorced? Yeah, yeah the dad is not in the movie. The, the dad, dad is not like in the, the movie beginning. Because, the dad is like off yeah. in Mexico somewhere. And that's why uh, the seemingly so... with like another woman or something. It's not really clear. Oh. Yeah. I if you rewatch that. it, like it's the first thing you notice because there's a big dinner scene where like Elliot's like, This isn't how dad would make it or something like that. And it's like then the older brother gets mad at him, and I'm not going to spoil it. Anyway, um, <laughs> you can spoil it. That's right. it's, is that what he calls him, penis breath? If or? you haven't, if you haven't revisited ET as an adult, I highly recommend doing so because you get a lot more out of it. I think. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's really apparent is the uh, apparent, for lack of better, is the uh, the yeah. lack of helicopter parenting. Yeah, um, which of sure. course, just like the eighties was a different time, but like these mm-hmm. kids are just like, they go do whatever they want on their bikes. Like, you know, out sure, out go, bikes, go out yeah. in the middle of the night to the, to the forest to help an alien get back to <laughs> wherever he's from. I mean, that's I definitely... always remember thinking as a kid that it was weird that they trick or treated when it was still light out. Cause being from Michigan, it was never light when we would start trick or treating. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, See, it was for me in South Carolina. We like, I grew up in that same sort of thing, like, you know, five or six years around that same time where like you know you could stay out until eight nine o'clock playing on the in the streets with your friends you know running to the soccer field and riding your bikes around and as long as the street but as soon as the street lights came on that's when you need to go home mm. like and it's and the same thing with like things like halloween like things were unsupervised because you're just walking around the neighborhood and everybody knows each other and then all of a sudden 2020 gets introduced and starts scaring the crap out of parents and they start stop they, they kind of stop doing that and i'm john stossel yes. uh, you know yeah <laughs> exactly uh 
All right. Well, yeah. So E.T. That's that's a good one for you know that's that's a good movie for your uh, recently watched because yeah so for sure. But, um, yeah. All right, Brendan. How about you? So I finally got around to a movie that I missed last year, and it's been on my watch list forever. Um, I've been wanting to watch it, and finally, like I said earlier, I was home in South Carolina. This is your week. best movie of the week. My mom and my sister both really wanted to watch 2019's Little Women. Oh, not that. And okay. I, I watched it. Ford versus Ferrari, and I was getting no. really like, no, 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 I was no, getting no, preemptively no, no, mad. No, 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 I think no, he said no, that last no. week, didn't he? I said that last week because it was before The Greatest Escape. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I got. I watched it on the same that. day that I watched Greatest Escape. Right, no, sorry. I that's watched the 2019 movie Little Women, which. Ironically enough, I liked more than my mom and my sister did. Uh, my mom got really confused by all the time jumping because yeah. it was the same actresses, just with different hairstyles and the constant like cutting and moving within that movie. The way it's structured, I loved it, and I thought it was really interesting, and it kept me engaged um, because it was like very exciting. Like it, it, they kept juxtaposing the characters against themselves, which was really nice. Like they're. Um, to watch the development of each of the four girls throughout that movie, except for Beth, we—that was the one thing—is you don't really learn a lot about Beth, except she's always sick, and that's kind of disappointing. Um, I wish we had gotten to spend a little more time with Beth because I like that actress. She was in Sharp Objects a couple years ago as Emma, mm -hmm. and she was really, really good in that. And so she's the one character I wish we had gotten to spend more time with, but. All four of the girls are fantastic actresses. I mean, you have uh, Emma Watson and Saoirse Ronan and, oh, what's her name from Midsommar? I always forget her name. Oh, uh, yeah, what is her name? Um, um, it'll come to me in like 20 minutes. Um, yeah. But they were all really great. Um, as well as, you know, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep. Friggin' Bo Bob Odenkirk shows up. As Papa. Yeah, that was the only thing I didn't really like about that movie. It was just like it that part fine. took me out of it. Um, it was like, but I really enjoyed it. I um I, I the, definitely highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, the time jumps are it's kind of like Lost, right? Where the time jumps yeah. are relevant to each other. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, the time jumps are all relevant to each other, and there'll be like a scene, like for instance, the most noticeable one is a scene where, um. Like, it's Joe goes to talk to Meryl Streep's character, Aunt, uh, Aunt March, and then leaves the room and comes back in, like, five years later to have pretty much the same conversation. Right, yep, and there's, and I, like, and, yeah. and there's some parts where they have some really nice parallels in that movie, so. Yeah, exactly, um, and it's, it's really good. Um, I, I, Little I Women was it. actually the last movie I saw in a movie theater. Oh, wow. Before everything shut down, yes. Hmm. Saw that in, back in February. I walked out. Michigan State's coach had resigned as soon as I walked out of that movie, and uh, oh, that was silly me thinking that was going to be the biggest news story of the of uh, the season. Nope, not at all. Nope. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, you saw Little Women, right? I saw it. Yeah, I was not a fan of it. Um, I definitely, you know, I appreciated certain things about it, and um, you know, obviously the fact that so many people loved it is great. Uh, I was just like deeply bored by it for almost its entire running time. And I don't know, I guess that's just more of a uh, a flaw in me because so many people love the movie. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, discourage people from seeing it, but it just was not for me at all. I've never seen any of the other, I don't know any of the other Little Women stories at all. So I think, you know, the things that um, that are done in that movie, the way that movie is created um, is 
is very different and it's you know there there are liberties that she takes with that movie and and well not really liberties but just like structural changes that i just assumed were in the book and were in all the other movie versions and mm. like the time jumps and things like that are all new to that yeah. movie so uh florence Pugh is the name of the actress oh florence Pugh. that's what i, I did was, not yeah. google that it just came to me but she's, I knew it was eventually she's fantastic in midsummer yeah uh she had a quite the year in 2019 yeah she did she really really did uh, um, and now I'm working on who made who made Little Woman. What is her name? Uh, and I should know this. Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig. Yes, yeah. 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 Uh, I love Little Woman or Lady Bird. Uh, did you like Lady yeah. Bird or do you not like that either? No, I, I was a big fan of Lady Bird. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told my mom and my sister to watch Lady Bird like the day I left. They were like, they. All right, now I'm leaving. You guys should watch Lady Bird. I've seen it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to ruin it for you. YouTube Lady Bird's perfect because, because it it's is perfect for my mom and my sister to watch together. <laughs> and it's about somebody who was a high school senior in 2002 and I was a high school senior in 2003. So it's like exactly like it's just I always thought Mean Girls was like right on for my high school experience. But uh, Lady Bird surpassed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was I, I I was a high school senior in 2001. So she's right in between. Us. 1999 for me. I'm the old man. Oh, wow, you, the old yeah. man. <laughs> Get out of here. I will say the only thing and at the risk of not. Uh, alienating any female listeners we have. I still don't understand the Timothy Chalamet thing. Oh. I I think he's a good actor. He's fine, but, like, eh. I don't know. I I found him very unappealing in this movie, and he was fine in Lady Bird 2, I guess, but I I, I guess I just don't get it. He's good at playing, like, that stuck-up pretentious guy. Um, yeah. Even in Lady Bird, he's like that. Um, he's really, have you seen Call Me by Your Name though? Because he's, I mean, he's in that. I haven't. Okay, yeah. so I think that's, like that's his best role. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that should be on your list. It was uh, Little Women part of your movie ladder at all? No. Oh, okay. I wondered if you watched that as part of your ladder. I was going to say you no, could go. Yeah, um, I'll add it to my watch list though. Yeah, it's it's very very good. It's uh, it's it, it'll make you feel, but it's a good movie. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I will right. say that also I really did uh, annoy the crap out of my sister and my mom by before the movie and after movie the movie going like, these women they're so little and I don't know why like I said that and it was really funny to me sometimes yeah. you have like those I don't know why you said that either I don't really know <laughs> but sometimes you have those things that pop in your head and you can't get them out and yeah these women they're so little so there you go all right. <laughs> So, Maybe nobody uh, nobody my... finds me as funny as I find myself. I, well, that's how that's how it should that's how it should be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry so, Zach, you're trying to butt that's in once you get. That's okay. I, you know it happens. Uh, so my movie that I did not watch very many movies this week, um, as per usual the last couple weeks. Uh, but my movie that I will say that I want to talk about is from 1960, and it is The Apartment. So I watched this. I'm doing a. Plunge. That is the year 2020, not the TV show 2020. Uh, every month I have to watch a movie of some different category. I, one was like a silent film that I had to do. One was a sports movie. One was a movie from an African country. This one was a romantic comedy from either the 60s or the 70s. And so I chose to watch The Apartment. And uh, I did not know anything about this. This movie was recommended to me when I said I needed to watch a romantic comedy from the 60s. Um, there's not a ton of comedy in this movie. I wouldn't. It's got the romantic part. Uh but it's uh, definitely darker than I was expecting. Mm. It's very much the 1960s um, version of it, a comedy. It, it has a lot of... Right. I'm sure stuff that was funny in the 60s, it was probably funny then. It just like doesn't hold up as like a funny movie. But it was like a very interesting movie to watch now, especially in the wake of like Me Too. 
Um, and cause this movie deals with like a workplace and also this guy's apartment. Um, and, and just kind of the way those, those two worlds intersect. And I didn't know anything about this movie going in. I don't really want to say anything about it in, you know, for people who haven't seen it. Um, when I planned to watch it, I believe it was on either Criterion or Amazon prime. Uh, it is not on either of those anymore. So oh, I had wow. to watch it. Uh, I had to pay to rent this one, but that's okay. It was definitely oh, worth the money. Okay. Oh. And it takes place around Christmas time. It is a, a, I said, it's a dark holiday movie. I don't know if I would say it's a Christmas movie, but. Um, it's a hope holiday movie. Yeah. So, um, and this is uh, Billy Wilder directed this, which I yep. don't think I've seen any of Billy. I, I have seen Sunset Boulevard, but I mean, his other two really big movies are some like at Hot and Double and Demolist, and I've never seen either. He also uh, directed Stalag 17, which was one of our, uh, the movies that we considered watching next, or last week we talked about. So. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Billy, Billy Wilder, um, had a really great career in the 50s and 60s is you know one of the most well-respected actors of his gener- or uh, directors of his generation um for both comedy and drama so I, I know that um some like it hot is generally considered to be his best film yeah it's supposed to be the um, best comedy of all time yeah so I, i'd be excited for you to get to that i think it's a really fun movie and i think you like there's it no way it's funnier than the hangover <laughs> but this this is a good movie it has a great i i think i mean i've seen it a couple of times i think it's got a great cast um jack lemon and shirley mclean have really good chemistry um i think shirley mclean so i only know shirley yeah. mclean is like the older version of herself uh okay. and um so you know like it was i was surprised how uh she's very attractive back mm-hmm. then i mean i you know obviously like she's not always an older woman but like yeah, between this and some came running in 1959, she had quite the amazing couple of years with performances. Um, I think she was nominated for an Oscar for this. If I yeah, I think did. I did see something like that. And was nominated for Best Supporting Actress score. Some came running, so there you go. She she had a really great back to back with those two films, and it, so I would recommend laddering to Some Came Running if you're looking for something to ladder to off of this. Oh, this so this wasn't part of my ladder. This was part. No, of No, I just think in general for any. Oh movie, yeah, yeah, just right? as, as a watch something that's connected to something we talked about this week. You know. Ah yes, um, yes. My next movie um, that is in my personal ladder. I think I'm going to watch The Goonies next. Um, nice. I still haven't watched anything since. Um, nice. What is uh, Romancing the Stone? So I'm still waiting on, on watching something. But I think The Goonies is like that. I've seen that before. I just think that would be like it would be a feel. Yeah, for sure. That's my reason for picking that. So, all right. So with all of that, um, I think it is time for us to start talking about the Thin Red Line. I don't really have a good way to segue from what we were just talking about to Thin Red Line. But let's talk about this 1998 World War II movie. I guess, you know, I was just talking about feel-good movies. I, I don't think the Thin Red Line is a, is a feel-good movie. Um, but <clears throat> it was a very interesting movie to watch now. I think it, um, not just for what is going on in the immediate events right the time that we're in um and to watch this breakdown of uh an invasion on an island in the south pacific i believe mm-hmm. it, during world war ii it is directed by terrence malick it came out in 1998 one thing i definitely want to make sure we talk about is this movie came out about six months after uh saving private ryan mm-hmm. and i think that that paints it in a very different light because this movie was uh mm-hmm. terrence malick started working on this movie in 1989 so it's not like this movie came out as any kind of result of Saving Private Ryan. Right. It's it's what you would call a mirror film where two similar films came out in the same year and people just sort of judge one against the other and you dismiss the one that you didn't like as much 
and clamp onto the one you think is better. And unfortunately for this movie, which I think is very good, Saving Private Ryan dominated the conversation critically and with audiences after it came out, and there wasn't much breathing room for the thin red line, unfortunately. Um, but is now being rediscovered as a movie people really enjoy, like us, I think. I think we all, you know, are gonna... Uh, yeah, I remember when this came out walking by the poster in the movie theater and being like, they just mm-hmm. released a World War II movie. Why is this yeah. coming out? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's how it mm-hmm. works. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, like, there were several other, you know, World War II films. We This was sort of a World War II boom in the late 90s, early 2000s, between this and Wind Talkers and, you know, the um, two Clint Eastwood films, Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers. And Mate, I think those. It, those were later. But they're, they're around the same time. Like, or at least they're lumped in as being part of that World War II boom. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's really interesting that this one doesn't get talked about as much. Um, but I think it deserves it. I think it deserves to be talked about, and I'm glad we're doing it. You know, I think one thing to to touch on too before we really get into it is just like the the sprawling cast of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, like it, it, there is, you know, George. They say George Clooney is in it. He is very high up on the cast list, but he's yeah. not really in the movie at all. Yeah, uh, I think he's only. I think he's only like in the last scene. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the cast say- is in an alphabetical order um, in our notes, pretty much, except for Sean Penn. For some oh, reason, okay. Sean Penn is first build, and everybody else is alphabetical. Yeah, let's say Jim Caviezel should be short build, uh, first build in this, followed by right. Sean Penn. Um, yeah. Then probably Elias Codius. Um, yeah, who, who I, I thought, thought was, was Christopher. Chris, Mal- yes, I Chris thought he Maloney. was Chris Maloney for half the film. I put it in my notes. Oh my god, Chris oh. Maloney's in this. That's not Chris Maloney. <laughs> no. There is another Oz star in this. Uh, Kirk is. Acevedo is also mm-hmm. an Oz, but uh, Elias Codius is. Um, he is Casey Jones from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Yes, yes. But I feel like I must know him from something else because that can't be the only thing. I guess he's, well, he was he's in Shutter on Island. all the Chicago shows. Yeah, he was on Shutter Island. Or he was in Shutter Island. Oh, okay. So that's a. But I don't know. I feel like I've seen him in stuff recently, and it's not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hmm. Uh, uh-huh. So yeah, he um, definitely has one yeah, of. Yes, those... he's like he's got that recognizable face. Yeah, for sure. John Cusack in a, a role that you would not expect John Cusack to be in. Mm. You know, sprawling cast. Uh, Jared Leto, who I never recognized Jared Leto in movies, but I didn't um, recognize him at all in this, and I was looking for him the entire time. And I didn't uh, even see him. yeah, and that's one of the things in this movie is it's a whole bunch of white male soldiers of the same age, which is something that we actually talked about right. with the Great Escape. Um, and they are all in the same the same uniform with helmets. For the most part, it's kind of hard to tell who anybody is, except you know, I would say like Nick Nolte, Sean Penn, and Jim right. Caviezel really stick out. Except, yeah, it, yeah. You, you have to know who the actor is for sure ahead of time. Like, it's that sort of thing where you definitely, like, need to know other works they've been in so you're on the lookout for them. Otherwise, they just sort of get face water, for sure. Yeah, Um, I I wondered if that was more by design here. Um, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I think a good number of these actors were, like, fairly unknown at the time. Like, I think for sure Jim Caviezel was, like, a nobody in 1998. John Cusack, you know, obviously he was known from, like, say anything, but... I don't like he wasn't like a a big star at this point. I think. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I don't know if they he specifically chose like lesser known actors, but like I think it was it was it definitely felt intentional to me the way that like everyone kind of like looked the same and like their stories are kind of like replaceable one for the next. Mm-hmm. I think it was just like trying yeah. to just drive home the kind of like 
randomness and just like the way that they're all like living the same life right now even though like what they've left behind is different from each for each person like they're kind of interchangeable out here yeah i uh i think it was it was definitely interesting to to see this it, for me it was a little distracting because i kept like looking for different people um and I, you know i think it is it is partially intentional but some of that stuff i just don't know if that worked like i, I almost think this might, movie would have been better if it was just a whole bunch of unknowns um now the one way that the more recognizable actors worked for me is that we didn't, you know, because we they're so interchangeable, we don't really know much about any of these characters. Um, we get flashbacks to them. We get some some narration from them. But mm. we don't we don't have anything that we could really differ. Like, I couldn't tell you, you know, without looking even like people's names because their names were all like short one syllable names. And thanks to the yeah. captions that helped me know who people were. Yeah. But if I was watching those without captions, it, it, it I would really have to pay attention. It would probably go in one ear and out the other for a lot of that. Yeah, in fact, I think the only major character that has a two-syllable name is Captain Steros. Everybody else is Fife, Wit, Bell, Gaff, Keck, White, Doll. You know, it's they're all one-syllable mm-hmm. names, so they all sort of mesh together. And yeah, so I think that's I think that's also by design. That could also very well be by design. Yeah, and I and I did I thought I did think maybe it was interesting that I think like all of the big name actors, uh, Clooney, mm-hmm. Travolta, um, I don't remember who else, but like they were kind of like they were all like uh, maybe not generals, but like kind of like commanding officers. Woody Harrelson uh, as well. Yeah, Woody yeah. Harrelson, and like yeah. they were in for like very brief scenes, very brief stretches of the movie. Um, so it just seemed to be like kind of like. These are like the big names, and in real life, these are going to be the people who, like, to the extent the history of this battle is written, they will be the ones whose names are in it. But like, really, it was yeah. like the anonymous people that mm-hmm. whose story were being shown, um, That's who an take up who take up it. most of the screen. It just it seemed like it couldn't be a coincidence to me again that like yeah. specifically these these A list actors were all all put basically in cameos yeah, and, and all, they all how... put in commanding positions. Yeah, that's kind of how movies work in general. Like, is movies ride on the names of their stars, and the stars of the war are the names you remember. You know, as far as, um, you know, the general that was in charge of storming Normandy, the general that was in charge of this battle or that battle, but nobody knows the names of the dozens and hundreds and thousands of soldiers that served under them and died. Yeah, you know, and, and, some, all, and some of them yeah, sent to the their same death thing that by one of these commanders you know? in, for just because he decided that like it'll be it would be like a good diversionary tactic to mm. send you know these hundred people to die mm-hmm. and like just basically dispense with their lives so casually. Um, so yeah, I think I definitely thought that was like part of what he was they were trying to drive home here. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially with George Clooney, because if you think about 1998, and I have to keep putting myself back into the year of 19. 19- right. Yeah, he wasn't a movie star mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. And so, yeah, with the with George Clooney in this movie, I think one thing that I was thinking about is like putting myself back into 1998 and uh, thinking about the time when this movie came out. And, you know, the time this movie came out, George Clooney was probably the biggest actor in Hollywood or one of the biggest actors in Hollywood is coming off of being Batman. Um, You know, he was, you know, he'd already been off of ER, but he was in, you know, I just a ton of movies, not huge movies like, you know, there was one fine day and there was, but those were, I just feel like late 1990s was like all about George Clooney. He was like number, you know, sexiest man on People magazine. Um, So, you know, for George Clooney to come in after a lot of the damage has been done and then, you know, he's the one who's on that island. And I think, you know, what you were getting at that, like, these are the people who are going to get the credit, right? Like not the people who were out there fighting and, um, and sacrificing, but 
George Clooney is going to be there commanding the troops that are there after after this battle has been finished. Um, right. And he's kind of there for the glory. And out of sight came out in the same year, and that's sort of highly considered to be his like big breakthrough performance with Soderbergh and what sort of put him on the map. So it's funny that you had that movie come out in the same year as this, where he sort of is soaking up the limelight that he gets for another movie. You know, writing that was Ocean's Eleven. You said, uh, out of sight. Oh, out of sight. Okay, yeah, I think that's that's a that's a good point. So, um, you know, I don't want to spend the whole podcast on the on the cast, but when Mark Boone Jr. in this movie, because I saw he was in it, and I don't know why I was just excited to see him, and I never was able to spot him. I actually watched this movie once through and then watched the first half again earlier today. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I just I felt like I wanted to get a little more out of it, and I just put it on the background while I was doing stuff. Um, but I still didn't spot Mark Boone Jr. I did not I either. Um, I was, and I was <laughs> on the lookout for. I was on the lookout for him because obviously he uh, is already a movie ladder legend yep. for his uh, role in Memento. Yep. Um, and also obviously he's a favorite from Sons of Anarchy. And when I saw he was on the cast, look, I was looking for him. So maybe he's like just thinner. Or is he the larger guy that we don't recognize him because he has his beard shaved? Is he the yeah, larger I mean, guy he must that not have his beard. in the trench? I don't I think wonder, so. I, I, don't, I don't think that was him. Okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, because John C. Riley is one of the larger guys. I, rec- For sure. I recognize yeah, him. I recognize. And I think we would recognize Mark Boone Jr. Because this is only two years before Memento comes out. That's a good point. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I mean, without the hair and the beard, it's hard to recognize him because he's, you know, very distinctive mm-hmm. by his memento and uh, son's look. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I would have to look again. And maybe one of the listeners did note notice where he was and can send us an email or a short clip of where he was and we can talk about it next week. Mm-hmm. Um, the other major TV related cameo I wanted to point out or not really a cameo because it's a before he was famous. So did you notice that Bobby Cannavale shows up in this movie? I did not. He oh, no, I did. So you mentioned after, that, but I did not notice that he was in it. After the shaving scene where um, so Sean Penn's character is talking to the private who's freaking out, and then the camera pans to this hallway shot in the hull of the boat where Tim Blake Nelson is walking through the barracks with another guy having a conversation. That's that's Bobby Cannavale. Hmm. And I was like, oh my god, that's Bobby Cannavale. And I like looked it up, and it's definitely him, but I guess he was uncredited. But it's definitely him, and it's not a Elias Cotius slash Chris Maloney situation. It was 100% him, so I wonder if he was just uncredited because he wasn't famous enough at that point, or was, you know, unpaid for that appearance, but like yeah, it, it was definitely Bobby Cannavale because there's no mistaking that voice and that look. So, uh, I'm, yeah, it's weird because if he had a speaking role, that. I would think that he would be. Uh, it's, not a, it's not on his yeah. IMDb, IMDb page either. Yeah, and I'm, but I'm like 100 percent sure it's um, him. And somebody can write in and correct me again, but I'm pretty positive it was him. Yeah, but that's his only scene in the movie. You never see him again after they leave the boat. So. Do you know the name of the character that he plays? Supposedly? I don't. I don't because he's just in that one right. 30 second scene with Tim Blake Nelson, who you yeah. also only notice because he's Tim Blake Nelson. And so I don't know. 
All right. Yeah, I don't know. I would have to, would have to look it up again. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm willing to bet that it was definitely him, unless somebody wants to send in a correction. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> disagreeing with you. It's just surprising that it wouldn't be on either his wiki or his. Uh, mm. It is very surprising. It? You would you would expect it to be on the IMDb as uncredited, but and maybe it's somebody on here that I should know who it is, and it wasn't like. But I'm pretty positive it was Bobby Cannavale, and I got very excited. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, well, I sent out a tweet, and we'll, we'll have to look into that. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. Um, so let's um, just like I don't know a good way to really break down this movie. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot about the cast, um, but there's a lot that happens in this movie, at least from like an artistic perspective, maybe less so from a plot perspective. Um, And I think that's why I wanted to watch it a second time, because especially the first time watching it, like I wasn't sure really like, you know, we start with Jim Caviezel and the way we start with his character is he's on uh, some island that's uh, I don't think it's ever identified. And he's um, and he just looks like, you know, especially on the second watch when I watch it through, like he is just knowing that he's going to die at the end of the movie. Um, he is, he's living such a peaceful and happy life, uh, with this, with, um, you know, this, this group of people he lives with. And, and he even asks them, he says, are you scared of me? Are you scared of him? And, um, you know, especially like, I don't know, I, I don't want to dwell too much on like what is currently going on in the world, but this movie just struck such a different tone for me than it would have even a week mm. ago. Um, even when we picked it, I didn't think about it, but like. Having people who are afraid of people with weapons who are in uniform is, sure. it, you know, and and having having that be such a running theme of this movie and um, and the fighting that goes on and like, why do we fight? Why do we you know, we have this this beautiful earth, which the earth's beauty is is featured so much in this movie and nature is featured yeah. so much. In this movie. And, you know, instead of living, living harmoniously like he is in the beginning of the movie, we are we are in the middle of this this huge war in this movie. Yeah, and, and I, think, I, I I think it also fits in nicely with, you know, kind of the what for me, what I was feeling while I was watching this, along with what I'm feeling about what's going on in the real world these days. Um, you know, if there's a there, there's it's hard to come up with a war that's like more noble than, you know, America entering into World War mm-hmm. II. Like we were provoked. We were going there to fight fascism and, you know, stop genocide and, you know, save basically you know liberal democracy on the west um but but yet you know that doesn't mean there isn't like terrible ugliness and darkness that comes along with fighting a war even if it's a noble cause and you know with to see everything that's going on a lot of it for good reason but does it does it make uh some of the destruction that's going on any less painful for those who are experiencing it um i think that it was very moving and just like powerful for me in that way just to kind of watch this with everything that we're seeing on our tv screens these days mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I would also say add to that that I think it's really important and really powerful the way Caviezel is portrayed because when we first meet him and find out who he is and why he's on this island, he's being dragged back onto the boat after going AWOL. And you never get the sense that he went AWOL because he's a coward or is less of a human being for choosing not to fight. And I think that's really important as well. Like, he's trying to peacefully exist in the world and resist the war in his own way, but you never get the sense that he does it out of some sort of cowardice, which I think is important. Like, you you actually kind of admire his character and the way he conducts himself for wanting to find his own way to, you know, 
live in the world and make a difference rather than war he's choosing to be the change he wants to see through a different path through peace and all of a sudden he just gets dragged back into it because there's no other option because of the war he signed up for in the first place and that's that's unfortunate yeah that's interesting i think um i think you know as i was watching this and especially as i was watching that part the second time he talks a lot about the last breath you're going to take and you know finding meaning and purpose in in life and um you know, he doesn't i don't know if he's religious necessarily but definitely like talked about things spiritually um mm-hmm. especially in his voiceovers and i think that that is you know to me is like what drives we don't see why he goes awol or what he you know it doesn't yeah it doesn't seem like he's a coward although we do see that um that sean penn's character really does not like him um yeah but you know and and we know they do mention that he's been in the in the army for six years mm-hmm. you know this isn't like this is a new thing for him but he's not a coward because he by the end of the movie runs to the front and and volunteers to go and create this diversion for the japanese soldiers uh so that he exactly. can buy time for his squad um yeah. and and sacrifices himself as, as a result yeah and that's why i really like the way him and pen are set up because they are sort of two sides of that same enlisted man coin where they both are doing what they think is right for the greater good of their squad and by the end of it sean penn's character comes to really respect caviezel's character and the and the the sacrifice that he made and the type of man he is it's sort of come around to understanding why he thought that way and why he went awol in the first place and felt the need to be a be a better person Mm -hmm. um or at least that's what I took away from it. And I think that's really important as well. And I really liked the full circleness of the movie with Sean Penn's character, you know, between the beginning and the end. Um, sort of him coming to an understanding. Yeah, I think that but... he, we definitely, yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can't pick out like one individual character who, uh, who, like I can't, I can't tell you much about the different journeys of the different individuals. I mean, I think Nick Nolte really yeah. sticks out because his character is so different. He's so uh, kind of power hungry yeah. leader. Um, yeah, he's the one I was going to say hungry, too. Yeah, but he's he's kind of like if there is a villain outside of, I guess, the Japanese of the villains in this movie. But it's it's weird, you know. It's it's again, I think it's kind of similar to Great Escape, where the Japanese uh, soldiers are the villains, but I don't mm-hmm. feel animosity towards the Japanese watching this. Movie. Yeah, exactly. You you feel more towards the colonels and generals that are putting these soldiers into this unwinnable position in the first place um and that's he's saying go go straight up the hill even though it's even though we're gonna lose a ton of guys like yeah yeah and and some of that might some of that might come from current events this movie played in 1988 i don't know how this movie played after 9 11 i don't know how this movie played you know but right now for me watching this movie i saw more with um, with the people in positions of authority within the U.S. Army that I I saw as the as the antagonists in this movie. Absolutely, I, I agree. I viewed it a little in the same way. Um, and that I, that's actually probably why Nolte's character for me stuck out the most as well. And I wouldn't say was my favorite character, but was my most the character that stuck with me the most throughout the film. Like I I understood exactly who he was and what he stood for love him or hate him like i knew exactly what his motivations were as a character and i i appreciated that the film didn't beat around the bush with making him just kind of a dick and just going with it and 
Nick Nolte is really good at playing those types of roles where you, you know, you might hate him in this role, but you also admire the performance he's giving because he's a fantastic actor. And I thought, I thought he was the best actor in the film for me. Um, uh, was there anything that stuck out to you from a kind of character journey perspective in this movie? Um, not really. I mean, other, I, I would say like the probably the most poignant moment was when uh, Woody Harrelson jumps on the grenade, or mm-hmm. as as we referenced earlier. Um, but I mean, I guess it, I would, what I would just say is that what I what I found was very surprising in a way is that despite what I said earlier about how like the characters kind of like felt interchangeable to the point that like even when they were like showing us like little flashbacks and narration, like I, I wasn't even sure like it was necessarily always supposed to like light up like like this was Nick Nolte's story and this was Adrian Brody's story. Like I think it was all kind of fleeting in a way where like it was. Well, I don't think they also... even showed everybody's faces every time. Like they yeah, would show what... like a wife or a yeah. woman, but you would see a body, but you wouldn't necessarily who see who that that's was. what i'm saying like it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like the way you compared it to lost earlier where it was like this is a story and this is b story like it wasn't like that it was all kind of like all of the the background story like in theory belonged to all of them um mm. because like these people could be anybody which i think was the point uh, but that didn't like lessen the like emotion when like we see characters lose their lives or especially like the Woody Harrelson scene where he sacrifices himself essentially to make, make sure nobody else dies. Yeah. Um, that was just like really, like really hit me hard, even though like he wasn't that well developed of a character whose loss on screen should have really like been a gut punch the way it was. So like that's yeah, really and a credit fact, to the movie. In fact, the beginning of that scene even plays a little bit comedic just because of who Woody Harrelson is. Right. And if you've seen movies like Zombieland or, you know, uh, Kingpin or any of his other movies, you're sort of expecting Woody Harrelson to be a little bit of a comedic relief. And, you know, when he says, you know, I blew my ass off, it comes across funny. And then all of a sudden it gets real serious real quick. And you're like, oh, God, I wasn't supposed to be laughing at that. And it's it's like an incredible turn. And it's. I would say that's probably the most powerful moment of the film. I agree. Um, and they do talk about after he, so after he dies, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, he's like, don't let my wife know, you know, I think he even says like, don't let my old lady. Right. How I died. Like I wanted to think I went as a hero, not like I accidentally blew myself up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, yeah, yeah. Well, they're like, we'll write her. We'll write her. And then he dies. And almost immediately they're like, well, I'm not going to write her. Like, well, I, I think that was Mark Boone Jr. The one that goes, I don't, I don't even know who he was. Like, how do I, Oh, maybe I didn't know him. Yeah. I think that um, was Mark Jr. And, you know, another thing where that ties in again, like I, I'm obviously well, more well versed in the first hour of this movie because that's what I rewatched. Mm-hmm. But there is talk of like the ground that you're on, like that you become one with the ground you're on. You become dust. We die and we yeah. become one with the ground. And so it's like he dies there and like his body, you know, like we see bodies uh, earlier that were killed and like we don't know, you know, it, nobody's retrieving his body. He's just there. And right. he's like part right. of that. Island. You become one with the ground, right? You, you, you go, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Right. And there's there's the scene when they first get to the island when they pull back the bamboo and they see the two American soldiers both like, you know, one with his legs blown off and he's, you know, half in the ground. And then the other one who's like also half buried in the ground and just awful looking and that that sort of gives you that same yeah exactly that, yep that's the one yeah, yep. yeah yeah and you know i think the scene for me that really stuck out in this movie i think there were there were some really gorgeous scenes and we haven't i, I really want to talk about the nature thing too and we haven't gotten to that but um just right after right after woody harrison's character dies then that we get that storming of the it's it's like a five minute scene where they're storming up that hill mm-hmm. um 
And, you know, that's the scene that you were expecting when they get off the boat, right? You're getting off, especially in the year when Tim Private Ryan is, they get to the beach and they're running out of the boats and there's nobody there. There's no soldiers there on the beach. They're expecting, you know, they have their guns drawn. They're expecting a battle and there's nobody on the beach. They've all retreated back further into the island. Um, But you do get that action scene um, later on when they're, when they're storming up the hill. And that's the way that shot, it shot from so low with the tall grasses and the sunshine coming through. And, And that's like a lot of this movie is is just highlighting the grasses, the the sunshine, and things like that. Mm. So, um, yeah, and there was visually, there was some long she, there were some long shots as well. During oh, that. magnificent! Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a visually incredibly stunning film, and that that was the one thing I kept getting drawn into as well. Is just you know, even in the close ups of like the jungle, like everything was so perfectly rendered and shot like i i was i was blown away by the cinematography movie. yeah it's the the cinematography is so good um along with hans zimmer's score that in a way it's like we, we we mentioned that like the plot in this movie and the characterization is not like that's not what this movie is about and because of that it's almost like you could like space out for 10 minutes and like you missed whatever you missed and then like you just like pick it up right where it is because like mm. all you're watching is just like soldiers storming a hill and like it's uh, you know and uh, a pounding score and beautiful imagery and like you're just like right back in it and just like being like wow this is less like mesmerizing to experience um because it's like really experiential more than like a narrative thing um it just like it doesn't require as much of the viewer in certain ways mm-hmm. uh, i'm sure obviously you know the the your experience you'll have you know will be tied to like you know how carefully you're paying attention and following everything but like you could like you could even just like skip ahead 30 minutes and like you probably won't be that hampered in your enjoyment because like that's not what it's really about yeah you really can mm. pick up this movie anytime um i think you you know you could jump into this movie an hour in you know you watch the last half hour i think that especially because the the characters are sort of interchangeable throughout um and, and you know and i think that speaks to something about the war too because we're only seeing one battle over mm. a day of a war exactly. versus like this this sprawling sprawling you know all encompassing world war and the I mean even the concept of world war yeah it's crazy it's it's like yeah I mean that's and that's what they they get at with some of this right like let's we have this yeah. world and we're everybody's fighting with each other over it yeah. yeah. No yeah no I mean just to your point I mean like this is like and this is not even like the quote like important location of where the war is like this is like yeah, all the way exactly off in the pacific say, yeah. yeah like the real war is going on in europe right, right. it's the war you, yeah. this is the part of the war that you don't really even th- you know like watching this you know had i not known this was a world war ii movie i would assume this is a vietnam movie exactly um, this is the this is the pacific front that doesn't get all the love and doesn't get all the focus that the western front does in all of the epic movies even yeah. back in the 1940s and 50s when they were making World War II movies, they never really focused on the Pacific Front. They focused on the things that were happening in Europe because those were sexier. Those were prettier. Those were a lot more clear, black and white, good guys, bad guys. We're going to defeat Nazis. It wasn't, we're invading an entire race of people because they attacked Pearl Harbor. And there are, you know, there was a mixture of countries and islands we were invading where we didn't really know what we were doing we just kind of made it up as we went along and, and this was, wasn't even invading japan yeah, this was a yeah, exactly this was an island in the south pacific i do exactly. think um you know you talked about 
you, know, you talked about the Japanese. I think it's it's really important to talk to, especially as we're coming off another movie about prisoners of war, is when they take the Japanese um, the Japanese soldiers. I think that those were soldiers. I don't think those were just residents of the island. Um, that they take them as prisoners, and you know, we see some of it where it, it for me was like a little tough to watch. Like we see one of the one of the soldiers with the teeth from the Japanese uh, guy, and you know, we see them and they're they're malnourished and they're they're like giving up. Um, and, and when they invade that, that camp of them and take them prisoner, um, mm. you know, I think that, that is a scene, you know, I definitely don't want to, don't want to look past. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, did you guys have anything else like when, you know, try kind of the, the last half of the movie then is, you know, they, they get through that hill, they, mm. they overtake the hill, then they, they do find the, the camp of, of Japanese men, um, or Island inhabitants. Again, I am not sure. Um, and then we see that we see them kind of move to the next phase, which is where, um, where we see the smaller mission where, where they're trying to find the Japanese and then eventually buy time. And, and that's when Jim Caviezel's character, um, he sacrifices himself at the end of the movie. Another thing that I wrote down to is a theme in this movie. You know, I talked about like peace versus destruction, but, um, nature and how nature continues on around with this war going on. Um, I think that's a really interesting concept that I have not seen in war movies before. Um, so we see, you know, obviously the tall grasses and the forests, um, but we even see, uh, you know, the animals that are living on this island that are just, they don't know that there's a world war going on. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's a, there's the alligator that we see at the beginning of the movie yeah. and we see a snake crawling through the grass um, when they're, when they're going through the, the, the siege on the hill we see birds we see lizards we see a bird we see a dead bird that got shot um that's that's slowly dying um mm. so i thought it was really interesting to see that perspective the nature perspective of war because especially with the european wars the european front you don't see because it's all in it's all in cities that are destroyed right yeah i mean and I, I really think it's just like trying to show that like both like humanity and nature itself have like two sides of the same coin there's the like the inherent beauty and also just like the inherent violence um or violent tendencies for lack of a better word um i think like the last narration of the movie is just like the narrator pondering darkness and light strife and love are they the workings of one mind the features of the same face um and basically i think the answer to that is yes that like it's like, you know, these are just two sides of the same coin. These are like inherent in all of us. We all have our, our better angels and our, and our demons. Um, and, you know, humanity as a whole has that and nature as a whole has that, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's our inherent beauty and our inherent pro propensity towards ugliness and violence. Yeah. And I guess the animals that we do see are, are predators as well. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even the birds are, I don't know what birds well, they were, also... but I would imagine they're, they're predatory, predatory birds. But it's also interpretation of those predators in those moments. Like, I mean, the snake is just slithering through the grass. He ain't bothering nobody. The alligator is just going into the water. But our interpretation is that it's menacing because we're seeing it and because of the score. Well, and then we but see the alligator. We see the alligator captive at the end of the movie. Not yeah. the same alligator, but we see an alligator right. captive at the end. Of the yeah, movie. and and much the same of... way that the the Japanese soldiers and the American soldiers react to each other because they're mm -hmm. you know marked with the enemy uniform or whatever, and you know you have, your assumption yeah. is this person is coming to kill you, 
Um, even though, like, if you know, if you really got to know this person, you'd realize you both are here for something that has nothing to do with either of you. Um, you're you're trying to kill each other because somebody isn't telling you you have to kill each other or else the world is going to end. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're just both fighting for survival in in the way that the world has been set up. But like, there's nothing. There's no inherent reason why these people should actually be fighting each other. Yeah, and uh, much like humans and animals, we can't communicate with animals. You know, we can't talk to a bird. Um, mm-hmm. The the English speaking soldiers and the Japanese don't speak the same language. So there's right. no way for them even to discuss this because they're just yelling at each other and right. can't understand what the other one's or saying. The, the only the language. Villagers, yeah. Yeah. All. The only language that they both understand is violence. Yeah. It reminded me of like in, in Jaws when like the, uh, like the uh, animal rights activist or whatever, wildlife activist, whatever he is, like he wants to like, go out in the boat with them. And I just remember every time I see that movie, I'm like, you idiot. Like you think the shark knows whether or not you're a hunter or a, an animal rights person. He's just going to eat you the right. same way. Like he doesn't know the difference but between whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's a uh, I never thought about that with Jaws. Yeah, but... it's just like nature is just – nature's going to do what nature does. Right. Um, yeah, and I think um, you know, speaking of nature too – the Japanese, when they, you know, when they have that that shootout by the river, um, so they all have grass on their backs. So they're all hiding with grass, you know, with like yeah. grass coverings, and um, you know, that's an example of like the war and nature kind of intersecting even more, mm. where that you know they are using nature to their advantage. And uh, I didn't even really think about it until just now, but it might have been why they never were able to find the Japanese in the first place because they're always looking for them and they get kind of surprise attacked a lot throughout this movie and it's probably because the japanese were wearing those kind of uh those those grass camouflage and so they didn't see them because they just saw the grass yeah and that's that's one of the things that's prevalent in and i wasn't necessarily expecting in this movie because i always associate that sort of uh military tactic with the vietnam war because that was the thing that Mm -hmm. the that the Viet Cong would do was the the um you know what they call guerrilla tactics where they would just fight using the jungle in tiny groups and be disguised in the trees and as the trees and kill, you know, hundreds of Americans at a time as because nobody could ever see them or find them. So I was actually kind of surprised by the movie that they used that as well. And that was, that was actually interesting. Like if accurate was really interesting information that I didn't realize before was that that wasn't a tactic that was just solely, um, you know, owned by the Vietnam War, it was actually relevant to World War II as well. Yeah, I I definitely think you could read this as a as a Vietnam movie. Um, And it just reminded me so much of of things that we saw. Yeah. And and not things that I'm used to seeing from World War II. Like this is this movie looks nothing like what we see in The Great Escape. Obviously. Yeah. No, I mean, the the movie that most comes to mind when you watch this is Apocalypse Now. Like it's it's very much. uh, So I've never seen Apocalypse Now. Yeah, so, it, it's it's very evocative of it. The stirring narration and yeah, both. and the music. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, yeah. The other movie that I thought about a lot while I was watching this, and I obviously not connected, is uh, 1917. Just the mm-hmm. way, just like the intimacy that you get, just like being like so up close and like with these uh, individual soldiers. Um, I thought that that just like made me think a lot. There was like a, a bunch of scenes where I felt like it was very similar to 1917 mm-hmm. in that regard. I still feel like 1917 is the most intimate war movie I've ever seen. Um, yeah. It was just the most affecting in so many ways. And, and um, you know, I know Avi, that was a, one of your favorites last year, if not your number one. And um, or not, never, never mind. It definitely wasn't your number one last year, but it was one of your your higher rated movies last year. I, I had it ranked number three on my list um, after uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite. Yeah. 
And this one I felt was intimate in terms of um, like the visceral nature of it. But it, it wasn't intimate where I just didn't feel a closeness or a connection to any of the characters. And I don't think you were supposed to watching this movie. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to really either. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I this movie is definitely not a perfect movie. I mean, we're saying like almost all positive things about it. But I definitely right. think there's there's ways in which this movie is very scattered. Um, I mean, as I said, like you could skip a half an hour of the movie and not miss much. That's not usually something right. you would say. Like you wouldn't say that about The Godfather. Like, oh, yeah, just skip the whole part where he goes to Italy. Um, right. I think there are reasons that. There, there are definitely visible reasons that Saving Private Ryan is the more beloved movie of the year. And it's because you really get to know the characters in this small group throughout the entire film. Like, you're, you're with these people, and you're really getting to understand them in a way that this movie doesn't do. Like, there's a deeper... There's, there's less characters and a deeper understanding of them than this movie does where they're trying to just generalize the experience. And I also think Saving Private so Ryan is much more approachable than this movie. Yeah, oh, yeah, far more accessible. Yeah, yeah, I would not, I would not recommend this to most people. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was it, it's I think it was like a lot to chew on with this movie. Um mm. and it's funny because when we came on before we started, you know, Brendan, you said I don't know how much there is to talk about this movie. And from a plot perspective, there's not, but just from a kind of from a theme and what they did perspective, but it's such a I mean I don't know this movie like the first time through it I just didn't really know what to expect I, I didn't know if it was all going to take place on this island like watching mm-hmm. it I I just wasn't set up to really digest like I was digesting parts of it but not all of it um, and I do think yeah I think a flaw of this movie is that it is very scattered it is um, it doesn't make a lot of sense narratively to me like when I was watching it I was like wait what who is that like it, it's it's definitely mm-hmm. hard to follow um, and part of that probably comes from you know some of the stuff from the production that I've seen that like a, this movie was, you know, he started writing this movie. It's based on a book. And Terrence Malick started writing this book or started writing the script from this book in 1989. So it took mm. nine years to get created, to get made. Um, and the original cut of this movie, which featured which featured appearances from a lot of other actors, including like Bill Pullman and yeah. Mickey Rourke, um, was over five hours long. Yeah. And you can so actually this, spot Pullman, I think, at the beginning. So I thought so, too. I wasn't sure. Like I thought that that was him in the beginning. You can. Yeah. You, you can spot Pullman in a brief uh, glimpse at the beginning with Josh Travolta and uh, Nolte. But yeah, otherwise, he's not in it at all. Yeah, yeah. I think I read that Mickey Rourke is in a deleted scene that's yeah. on like the Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie just in a lot of ways just feels very unfinished. Like, mm-hmm. there was like an idea at themes, but just like it doesn't fully feel like it all comes together in a way you would hope something like this too and like maybe you know he never intended it to like it's just supposed to ponder things and be philosophical it's not supposed to provide Mm -hmm. answers um but like you kind of feel like you want to be able to like walk away with like abc here's what this movie was about and it doesn't really deliver on that in that regard um i mean and the last thing is just like this movie is just like begging to be seen in a theater like this is not a movie that's like that ideally seen at home um unfortunately if i had gone to see this movie in 1998 when i was 15 years old i, I doubt i would have made it through because yeah no, I was right. not, I you know 15 year old me was not appreciating this movie i probably would have walked yeah, out. yeah 18 year old me was walking out after woody harrelson blues got off and I think even, you know, I think that even that we just keep talking about the characters in this movie by their actor names. Um, yeah, which it's a lot, a lot of characters, but it's yeah, it says a lot about the movie, right? That like, you know, Jim Caviezel's character. So he, his character is wit. Right. And like 
Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I mean, between the names and the ranks, it's, it is hard to know who anybody is or like for me to tell you anything about him. But I could say that like the thin red line made by a, maybe a, a more mainstream director with this cast would have been a movie much more focused on the journey of private wit going from a guy who went AWOL on his, on his platoon to then being given this servitude of, uh, of carrying the bodies back on the stretchers yeah. to then being the hero who saves his platoon. Um, and 100%. that's what was in this movie, yeah. but that is really like the movie was not focused on that. And it's an hour and 50 minute movie, not a two hour and not three hour. Minute and it, it, yeah, it, it, to me, it felt the length too. It, it, yeah. It, it felt the three hours to me. It definitely Getting did. It, I was like, all right, like even more so than Great Escape, um, which also was very long and felt long to me. This felt longer. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, do you guys have any other connections? We've talked kind of vaguely about the connections to Great Escape. I think there's definitely a lot in terms of basically length, uh, number of characters that you know. All at least Brennan and I, I can't remember. I've had the same feeling that he couldn't really differentiate the characters in Great Escape last week, and definitely that's the case with the Thin Red Line. Um, yeah, and then and making I, place I think World War II. So, and uh, just characters trying to escape their circumstances, you know, obviously, um, whether it's by going a wall or trying to jump over a fence, um, mm-hmm. you know, and the role of nature actually too, and, because in the yeah. Great Escape, they so they escape, you know, going through that tunnel, and it, they come out of the the top of it with the grass, and then they have to they have to hide. They're trying to hide in the trees, so they are trying to use nature yeah. to advantage to, during the escape. Yeah, uh, including escaping by boat, escaping by plane. Um, oh, yeah. So, um, oh, one other pers- one other point that I had written down. Um, you know, I talked about like nature versus man-made destruction, and I thought that was uh, really clear with when we would see shots of the sky, and mm. sometimes this and shots of the sky in general are a lot in this movie. There's a, a ton of shots of, of light coming through, but sometimes we would see birds flying overhead, and sometimes we would see airplanes flying overhead. Um, yeah. And so, you know, they're like almost indistinguishable where the birds could be the airplanes. All right. So let's get into uh, any other connections to other movies besides we talked about Mark Boone Jr. Are there any other actor connections that we've had? Um, we had John Cusack in any movies that we've talked about. Adrian Brody was in yeah. Brothers Bloom. Brothers Bloom. True. Yeah. Adrian Brody. Um, otherwise, not off the top of my head. Um, I don't think so. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of crazy because with this cast, with you know, with this many actors, you would think that we would have some more crossover, but I'm not. Yeah, I think the uh, like scan. I'm not really seeing anybody who was. Uh, yeah, I think I think George Clooney is probably our most talked about actor who hasn't been in a movie we've talked about yet. Um, but other than this one, but yeah, uh, yeah, not that yeah, I can no. think uh, of. Was John C. No. Riley in anything we talked about? I don't no? think so. I'm looking no. at this now. I don't think so. Um, yeah. Oh, there is a movie um, we could. Uh, Two of the Ruffalo were... wasn't in this. Um, yes. Patrick Swayze was not in this. Uh, yeah. I, I also, I felt like I'd seen Jim Caviezel in something recently. Um, but, I, I mean, I haven't watched Passion it? of the Christ in a long yeah. time. So, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, that. And, um, oh, he's, right, so he I'm looking at his I'm looking at his letterbox page. He's in a movie called The Final Cut. And the cover of The Final Cut looks just like it would be Insomnia. Because it's got Robin Williams <laughs> like looking sketchy on the cover. I've That's never hilarious. heard of The Final Cut. Um, I do really like Frequency. Wasn't Jim Caviezel in Frequency? Yes. Yes. That Save really that for idea. later. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. All right. Um, oh, wow. Let's I, get I in. I, was the, I thought I was going to be the only one who had seen it because it's about No, us. dude. I've seen the it. The Amazing Mets. Sorry. All right. 
Um, all right, let's get into any feedback that we got from the listeners, um, which I know we got some. Um, yeah. So uh, our buddy Jeff wrote in to say, forgot to send you my movie feedback. Uh, we watched The Thin Red Line on Saturday night. Started it earlier than The Great Escape, which was good. Good plan. Enjoyed the movie. The dialogue in the off-action times was pretty solid. Craziness of senior people pushing forward and the captain not wanting to have his people get slaughtered. I would agree with that this is the best war movie ever made. He said he wouldn't agree. Some, or, sorry, he wouldn't agree. Sorry, I need to clean my glasses. He would not agree that this is the best war movie ever made, as some critics have called it. It's good, and he gives it a 3.5. But to me, there are much better movies like, say, like say The Credit Ryan in 1917, which is what we just said. Um, so there you go. Jeff agrees with us. I think that's, that makes sense. Uh, he's glad to have seen it, though, as he doesn't remember seeing the entire movie previous to this viewing. Uh, already sent in his recommendations, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh, the Great Jim Crumley writes in who he heard from earlier and said, Thin Red Line is powerful, uh, somewhat impressionistic, uh, and he's giving it a 4.5. So I think it's because of impressionistic to me means... Uh, like a painting? Just visually, just visually, it's a stunning film, which I agree with. Um, and he's giving it a 4.5. Nice. So there um, you go. Those are our two ratings that got sent in from listeners. Owen this week did not give a rating. Um, he didn't get to the movie in time. Sorry to call you out, Owen. But, um, you know, well, he, he might have. He, he just didn't write us. Yeah, he just didn't write us about it. I hope he does watch it, though, and lets us know next week what he thinks. Um, um, yeah, one thing that we, list- we didn't mention, too, yeah. is this movie was nominated for quite a few Oscars, including uh, Best Seven. Uh, yes, yeah, seven Oscars, including Best Picture in 1999. Best Picture, uh, Best Director. And what won Best Picture? Oh, it lost to Shakespeare in Love. Love. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it went up against Saving Private Ryan. So, like, yes. even more of the, like, Thin Red Line versus yeah. Saving Private It was, yeah. Yeah, and yeah which was, also uh, just mentioned, nope. um, like, that how big of a deal this movie was when it came out because mm-hmm. of the fact that Terrence Malick had directed two movies in the 70s that were, like, very critically acclaimed and, like, were very groundbreaking. Um, and that didn't release a movie for 20 years until The Thin Red Line. So this was just like a super-duper anticipated movie by Cinephiles. Yeah, yeah this yeah. was his return to film after spending 20 years in, you know, treading the boards of being a playwright. And mm. just um, and his style as well. I mean, this style is very mm. different in this movie. Obviously, like, there's a lot of, like, slow shots of grass and sunshine and, and voiceovers. Um, and a lot of that can can be chalked up to what's called transcendental style. Mm. Um, and so I've heard some interviews about transcendental cinema because after I saw First Reformed, there was a lot of talk about how First Reformed is a transcendental movie. Um, and I could not do justice explaining transcendental. I don't know if Av has any more background on that because uh, you might. But nope. it's uh, if you see First Reformed, it's a very distinct style. I love First Reformed. It's one of my favorite movies from the year it came out. Um, and it's I almost would say it's like a minimalism in terms of like story and dialogue. And it's more focused on kind of slow um kind of slow building shots and, and that that I, it's I, it's really hard to describe but if you google transcendental cinema you somebody else can explain it much better than i can but i do think that a lot of the style in this movie can be tra- transcendental and i know the next terrence malick movie that he made uh is even more so transcendental mm. so um yeah the best picture nominees for that year were like such it's shakespeare in love which won elizabeth yeah life is beautiful Saving Private Ryan and Thin Red Line. So three yeah. movies about it's, World War II. 
yeah really weird it's a it's a weird collection of yes picture noms and the fact that Shakespeare love one over saving Private Ryan is one of the biggest Oscar controversies that's ever been basically like a lot of people accuse that film of basically buying and buying a best picture win oh interesting because yeah, that was like a big Weinstein like Weinstein yeah Weinstein, Weinstein did they they funded like a ridiculous campaign for it um yeah. that like was obviously very successful because it beat out several movies that are very acclaimed and Shakespeare in Love is like fine you know it's fine it's fine all right so should I not add Shakespeare in Love in my uh it's worth seeing it's a it's a perfectly fine movie yeah, I, I don't know that okay. anyone who saw it occurred to them that movie was gonna you know be a best picture winner but you know exactly you never know like, cool so let's move right, on let's... to scores then yeah. all right so what are our listener scores so we averaged out to a four between the 3.5 from Jeff and the 4.5 from Jim, the two J's. So we are at a four uh, for the listeners. All right. So I, uh, I'll start. And yeah. I am with the listeners. I actually am, I was lower on this movie until we started. Like, this happens a lot. I was lower on this movie yeah. until we started talking about it. Um, especially, actually, until I watched at least that first half again. Um, it just made me really appreciate it. And um, it's, I, I would give it a four. It's you know probably like a 3.75. Um you know, I think, you know, the flaws that we talked about, I also think, like, it is very slow. So yeah, this is a movie that is, uh, to me, like, is easy to sort of, like, drift off or grab your phone and look at. So it's, like, uh, it is important to keep paying attention because there is a lot to chew on with this movie. Yep. Um, I will give it a four as well. As I said, there are, def- there are definitely flaws in this movie. The meandering plot, to the extent there is one, um, just feels very unfinished, as I said before. But like the parts that work are just glorious and like as effective as almost any more movie or most movies I've seen. There's just things in this movie. There's things that this movie does that are remarkable and just like off the charts in terms of what you would expect to see sitting down to watch a movie. So like the I, to me the the good far outweighs the bad. Yeah. The um I think that also like just to just to kind of keep with what you're saying like the the idea of nature during a war is just a concept mm. I ever thought about. And like that, and especially right now with the way the, the way the, the state of the world is between the pandemic and the protests going on, just like our place in this world, this movie really, really hit me in a different way than um, I think, I think I'll forever remember watching this movie in the day I watched this movie. I, I think so too. And that's, that's why like a lot like you, Zach, I was going to originally come into this expecting to give it a 3.5 and I think I'm closer to like a 3.75, 3.85. And I'm just going to bump that up to a four because we've had a great discussion on it. I What I like about this movie, I really, really like about it. And that outweighs the slower parts, the little bit of things we nitpicked about it. Like overall, this is a just a really well-made film. It's greatly cast. The dialogue is good. The music is good. The cinematography is good. Um, we we have really great performances across the board from a great ensemble, even if sometimes we don't know their names. Mm-hmm. We at least know the actors, and I think that's an important thing. You know, is that at least they could have cast this with a whole bunch of people whose names we both didn't know their character names and didn't know the actors' names, but instead they went out of their way to cast people we recognized in film in roles that we didn't necessarily need to know their characters' names. And I think that was actually probably intentional to a certain degree. So I'm I'm with everybody else. We're call it a social, it's a four. 
Nice. Actually, that's our first so, all across first the board. Yeah, yeah, across the board. Um, and we're, we're are you guys surprised there's trip? never been a uh, release the mallet cut five hour version of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am surprised because there was uh, it was there on Twitter tonight and see how far you get. Uh, yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, there the, there is a Criterion uh, collection version of this movie, but I think it's the same cut. Yeah. It's just like it's just like digitally enhanced or something for you know the cinematography, but um, yeah, I'm surprised that there isn't at least maybe not the full cut, but like a longer cut that hasn't come out. <laughs> and why wasn't this movie on the Criterion Channel if it's uh, Criterion? And you know, that's not, how the, that's not how the Criterion Channel works. It should. Yeah. Well, right? you could speak to them. There's there's thousands of <laughs> yes. movies that have been speak uh, to their agents labeled yeah. with the Criterion designation. I don't think they were all on the channel though. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, with that, so this movie gets a four across the board for all of us. Um, I think now is the time that we're going to move on to our ladder. Um, and, of course, this is the point in the show when we decide on what movie we're going to watch next week based on the movie we just discussed. So we have suggestions from our listeners as well as each of us brought our suggestions. And we will talk through those and decide on some fair way what movie we're going to be watching next week to discuss. Uh, of course, if you are listening and you want to send in your suggestions based on whatever movie we end up with, you definitely can do that. And you can do that emailing us at or emailing us the movie ladder at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at ladder movie. You also can follow everything we're doing on Letterboxd. We are the movie ladder podcast on Letterboxd. Um, and we put all of the movies that we talk about as potential movies to watch in our watch list. So if you're ever looking for something to watch, Check out that watch list. There's tons of good movies in there, and uh, we think you would enjoy that as well. So, all right, guys. Um, let's start with our listener suggestions. Brendan, what kind of listener suggestions do we get? Yeah, so Jeff wrote in this week with a couple of suggestions based off of movies with colors in the name. Uh, a couple of them I think may have come up before, um, but we're going to read them off. Uh, we have The Green Mile, which also came out. Did that come out the same year, or did that come out? No, that was 2001, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, Green Mile, which is Tom Hanks. Uh, we talked about Hanks a little earlier with the same Parker Ryan connection. Uh, Red, which is not the... Um, not the Three Colors trilogy, I'm imagining. Yeah, I, I think it's Red as in the... The boomer, sp- the boomer spy movie with Helen. Mirren yeah, exactly. And, the, uh, the boomer spy movie. Not yeah, that was we, that was suggested before. Movie, Red. Yeah, that yeah definitely. And I believe that's a good suggestion before. Uh, well, there's then, nothing wrong with suggesting again. We yeah. What, and what's what's the connection to that? It's uh, uh, movies color with colors the in the title. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, okay. And okay. Red at least is the closest yeah. of these three. Right, right. We both have red. Yeah, and then the Blues Brothers, which is lighter fare, which is a uh, movie I greatly enjoy, starring Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Uh, Blues Brothers is really fun. Uh, let's see. He also says he considered these other three movies, and but they're not officially in the running. Uh, Color Purple, Clockwork Orange, and Soylent Green. Uh, Soylent Green is people, guys. Can we agree on that? <laughs> I never saw it. Soylent Green is people. It's people. Uh, so Owen also wrote in with a few suggestions. Uh, first one is From Here to Eternity. It's based on a James Joyce novel. Uh, this says James Jones, but it's actually James Joyce. So no, um, it's a typo. Uh, <laughs> it's a multi-Academy Award-nominated film 
Uh, Frank Sinatra won for Best Supporting Actor. It takes place during World War II and the lead up to World War II. Um, you would you would probably recognize it from the famous beach scene yep. where, yep, yeah. So there's a famous beach sex scene that uh, the movie is mainly known for. But it's a great movie if you haven't seen it. Um, his second suggestion is England Manager, which I've never heard of. It's a Mike Bassett film. The link is Rudyard Kipling poetry titled The Thin Red Line is lifted directly from the Rudyard Kipling poem Tommy. So I guess uh, Rudyard Kipling wrote, yeah, wrote the poem that this movie is based on. So I think the movie is uh, Mike Bassett, English manager, not just English manager. Oh, okay. I thought it was, I thought maybe that was the director or something. Mike I, Bassett. I think I, I've never heard of it, but I, I've never heard guess. of it. I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, yeah, we didn't even talk about the title of the Thin Red Line at all. Um, yeah. I don't know enough about the poem to uh, really speak on the Thin Red Line. Um, I don't know. I know that there is also a movie and maybe it'll come up called the Thin Blue Line, which mm-hmm. came out before this. So I don't know if they're related at all. I would assume I the Thin Blue Line is about police, but I am not sure. Uh, so yeah, the, oh. he gives a little more detail on the England manager. Um, it's a humorous, fictionalist satire look at the trials and tribulations of being the English soccer manager. Oh, he keeps uh, suggesting these soccer films, which is great, mm-hmm. as they look for a quality World Cup. All right, that actually might be kind of fun. That that does sound fun. Thank you, Owen. Um, it might be a good change of pace for us. And then, ironically enough, Zach, as you said, Owen does suggest. The Thin Blue Line, which is the Errol Morris documentary about the police department and uh, as they investigate a murder case. So it's a documentary from 1988. It's highly regarded. It's highly considered one of the best documentaries ever made. It popularized the modern uh, true crime documentary. Um, Yeah, it's Yeah, I've I've never seen it. I only know about it. And, yeah, I, I only know about it because of the similar title to The Thin Red Line. Yeah. And the great Jim Crumley wrote in to nominate a film starring John Cusack that I've also not heard of, uh, Dave Cronenberg's Map to the Stars, which is on Netflix. Uh, I don't know what this movie is, but it stars John Cusack, and that would be our connection. It sounds, you know, it sounds like it might be light and fun. We'll see. You know, yeah. it's out there. Um. Nice. Uh, it's on Netflix. That's nice. Yeah, it's on Netflix, so that gives us a reason to stream it and, or an easy way to stream it. Uh, do you guys mind if I go first this week? I actually have four oh, movies I'm going to nominate. Jumping to the front of the line. And so I will gonna, say I am I am surprised. And well, there's a movie that I'm surprised has not yet come up. That's yeah, awesome. for sure. And I have I have two uh, serious connections and two more fun movies that I'm going to jump off on in my connections for this week. So the first movie I thought of. For this week, um, and this is based on the scene where the soldiers are trying to um, storm the hill in the middle of the movie and everything goes wrong. Uh, there's this famous movie from the 1980s that is based on what's called the bloodiest one-day battle in Vietnam, and it's called Hamburger Hill. And it's a movie about these soldiers that are trying to storm this, what turns out to be just an in- inconsequential hill. And it's a Vietnam War movie um, from 1989. Uh, uh, John Irving directed. Uh, my next movie also is going to be 
of War Movie, and because it came up earlier, and based on the narration aspect we talked about, I'm going to go ahead and put Apocalypse Now into nice. the running, mostly because Zach has not seen it, and I think we would actually all really like watching it, mm-hmm. um, even though it is really dark and... But I think after this movie, we can handle it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is it is it like <laughs> four hours long also? Aren't there like a bunch of cuts of the Apocalypse? There are a bunch of cuts, so we would have yeah. to settle on a cut. Okay. Um, but I also had two other movies that are slightly lighter fare. And I just, I love John Cusack, and I wanted to throw out my John C- favorite John Cusack movie. And, I mean, you have John Cusack on the pod. How do you not recommend high fidelity oh nice i thought about this because i just finished the tv series um, recently and i've been wanting yeah, to rewatch the movie because of the TV and, series. i mean the movie's fantastic it's really fun it's breezy it's light it can be a nice change of pace for us after some serious stuff um to get back to sort of the comedy stuff that we also enjoy mm-hmm. and then i also wanted to throw out a nick nolte movie that i've never seen so i've seen 48 hours and i've never seen the sequel another 48 hours and I thought it might be fun to uh, explore what maybe is regarded a lesser sequel from the 80s, but might also be kind of fun. So, so I've never like, seen the original. Yeah. So it's either. Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've um, not seen it, the original either. Well, maybe we make it a double feature then and do might have 48 hours and another 48 so we'll hours. Do, uh, 96 hours then. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So those are my those are my four suggestions for this one. All right. Uh, you didn't go with anything that I was expecting, Brendan. Um, all right, Good, um, I'm I'll go last because I had a movie that I thought was going to be on everybody's list, <laughs> and I can't believe it hasn't come up. Let's see if it's on Ob's list. So, Ob, you go next. All right. Um, so I have three movies. The first, I'm just going to go in the most obvious direction possible, and I know there I believe is. neither of you have seen The Tree of Life. Oh, um, nice. okay, right. fine, fair enough. Um, so directed by list. yeah, directed Years. by Terrence Malick. Um, Starring Steve uh, Sean Penn, so and it, it's a very very similar style, um, just not in the context of war, just more in the context of let's say suburban life and yeah. how did we how did we all get here? Um, have you seen that? It's just Brendan and I haven't seen it. I have seen that. I've been meaning to watch the. Uh, I I own the Criterion version that I've been meaning to watch for for some time. It's like with an extra like forty minute cut or something. So okay. this would be a good excuse. Uh, to check that out if you guys were so inclined although i kind of also feel like i want to watch something more fun yeah it's been on my list ever since film squatting put it in their best of the uh best of the decade of of the decade for this year so i've it's been on my watch list since the beginning and and it's definitely a movie where i would say like if you if you liked the thin red line you'd probably like that too and if you didn't you like i can't imagine somebody liking one but not the other but i guess it could be Mm -hmm. um for my second, I'm going to go with a another war movie, although this is a comedic war movie that stars mm-hmm. Nick Nolte and Sean Penn also appears, and yep. that is Tropic Thunder. I almost put it on my list. It's uh, written by our favorite guy, Zach, Justin Trudeau. Oh, uh, I hated Trudeau. Not Justin Trudeau, first... Justin Thoreau. Justin... Yeah, I was going to say Justin <laughs> Thoreau. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Trudeau. Um, hair. I've been I've been drinking bullet bourbon through this entire podcast. Can you tell? Yeah. Um, and then as my third suggestion, as alluded to earlier, is the Jim Caviezel picture featuring flashbacks, time travel, however you want to call it, and my beloved New York Mets, the movie nice. Frequency. 
I love Frequency. Damn, that's, that's one of those movies that I, I really liked. Um, yeah. You know, I watched it a bunch. Like, it was one of those movies I bought on DVD yeah. and actually watched it all I the mean, time. that movie has a lot of personal resonance for me. Um, and I know it does for Zach, too. Like, it, it just means a lot the way that film is structured. With a, with a um, man reconnecting with his father. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's, yeah, that movie, that movie has always struck a very special chord with me and I, I so i definitely appreciate the appreciate you putting it on your list and i i would not be mad if that's what we picked this week all right all right yeah. uh all right so um i was expecting saving private ryan to be on everybody's list it was on nobody's list except mine uh saving private ryan is a movie i haven't seen in a very long time and i've been meaning to rewatch that because i did not appreciate it you know we talked earlier about like uh you know teenage us going to see thin red line teenage me seeing same private Ryan. I was just kind of like, eh, yeah, um, yeah. So I think, think I think that is like the natural, you know, if you said name a movie connected to Thin Red Line, I think most people would say Saving Private Ryan, and then the second most popular answer on the board would be Thin, would be Tree of Life. So yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I just don't know if I could bear to watch another war movie, but yeah. right. And I, as much I, as I, I know, I as much as I love the cast of Saving Private Ryan, and I know I would enjoy the movie on the normal level that I enjoy it. I don't know if I can take it back to back, but we'll see. Let's let's go through the rest of the series. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So I also had Tree of Life on my list, but um, we won't use that since I've already talked about that. Um, <clears throat> Tree of Life has been on my watch list for a very long time. I don't know mm. how sad it is. I um, and with you guys, I want something a little bit more uplifting. Um, so I thought an interesting movie to watch right now, starring Sean Penn. It's one I never got around to seeing. Um, it is about civil rights, and it is Milk. So it's about gay rights, not race relations, but um, well, it is Pride Month, though. Yes, it is. It's Pride so, Pride Month. It's Pride Month. Yeah. So happy Pride Month, guys. Um, so that was the next one I had on my list. Um, and I actually am going to bring four. So the third one is a much more fun movie. It stars two actors from this movie. It stars uh, George Clooney and Adrian Brody. Although I believe Adrian Brody is in a smaller role in this movie, and George Clooney mm-hmm. is in a bigger role. Uh, and that is Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I know is coming. Nice. I've never seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. People love it. Um, I know I was not the biggest Wes Anderson fan. Yeah. And uh, then the fourth movie, just because, uh, Brennan, you brought up a John Cusack movie. Mm. And I thought I would bring up a John Cusack movie that we've talked about before on this podcast. Um, and I know we've is all it seen Identity? It. it is Identity. I figured why <laughs> wow. not. Let's put Identity on the list. <laughs> why not? I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. Um, Probably not. <laughs> um, yeah so why not put it in the bin yeah jack cusack <laughs> has such a funny filmography like looking yeah, at the movies really he's odd. been in um he's in some like really great all-time movies and then yeah. i like 2012 I mean, a lot but he's in 2012 um and then like some of those 80s comedies yeah. he's in con air yeah. he's in identity he's um, a teen star in the 80s he's a teen star he's a rom-com star he's a he tries to be kind of an action supporting star he tries to get super serious he he can kind of do it all. He's like a weird every man. Yeah. So it's yeah. uh yeah, it's an interesting um yeah. He's got an interesting filmography. So I will I will include identity in there. Even though we, then we can really <laughs> spoil the ending of identity, which we've kind of spoiled already in previous yeah. podcasts. So all right. I so think, the movies... I think it'd be more fun if we just leave the actual ending of identity for like the very last episode of the podcast. Yeah. Like, Guess what? Blah. Yes, we we almost do we almost do Young Frankenstein, but then we do a twist and we do Identity instead. Exactly, so, exactly. 
All right. So the movies, the movies that, yeah, the movies that we have uh, that have been suggested for this week that we are going to consider: The Green Mile, Red, Blues Brothers, From Here to Eternity, Mike Bassett, England Manager, The Thin Blue Line, uh, Map to the Stars, Hamburger Hill, Apocalypse Now, High Fidelity. Another 48 hours slash 48 hours slash 96 hours. <laughs> the Tree of Life, Tropic Thunder, Frequency, Saving Private Ryan, Milk, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and Identity. All right, so I get to go first. Yes. I went last, which makes it hard because I don't know what to pick. Um, it's a lot of movies that are on my watch list that I've been wanting to see. Um, so I'm going to go with one that I have never seen instead of going with high fidelity which i have seen and i'm gonna go with the tree of life i think it would be very interesting to compare these two movies in the style um and tree of life is supposed to be the best movie of the decade according to some people yeah um all right since you didn't go with it i had it circled already so i will go with high fidelity top five top five baby all right and brendan and I am actually going to. I know what you're going to pick. Just pick it. I'm going to take <laughs> the other one of Ov's oh, nope. suggestions and go with Frequency. Oh. I thought you were going to go Fantastic Fox. I kind of want to. I kind of want to rewatch Frequency now that we brought it up, and I think I, I think I would really appreciate it, and it'd be really fun. Uh, all right, sorry, sorry, listeners. We did not pick any yeah, of your suggestions guys. this week. Maybe next week. <laughs> Although I think we're on a run of listener suggestions for the last. We have week. been like the listeners are actually only half a point behind uh, of I believe for the pick of the week. Yeah. So um, I mean, Great Escape was a listener suggestion. That was Olin's. Uh, Thin Ooh. Red Line was Jeff's suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood. I don't remember who suggested that. I th- I did. But oh, okay. after being forced by you guys yeah. to. Oh right, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Pure pressure pick. All right. So our three, our three movies that we are choosing from in our finalists, they are three very different movies. We have Tree of Life, High Fidelity, and Frequency. Yeah, and I, I'll just say I'm fine with any of these. I've seen, I, I've seen all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I, I honestly, I think this comes down to whether you you guys are want to or in the mood to see Tree of Life, or if you want to just see something that you've already seen and just like enjoy yourself rewatching something. So I'll, um, I think I should kind of like sit this, out this vote. All right. Um, so what can you tell me about Tree of Life without spoiling anything? Can you tell me anything about it? Like, just like, is it going to make Brad, me really? Brad Pitt, out? Right? I know Brad yeah. Pitt's Brad Pitt and Sean Penn. It's, it's, it's like very, it has a very similar style to what we just watched. Um, but it's, it's more about like a family and the way that children are raised by their parents. And, and then it kind of gets into like, origin of the universe type things and like understanding how nature plays a role in our lives and that sort of thing. So it's, it's, like, it's um, hard, to, it's hard to explain. It's very so philosophical. It's very philosophical. Okay, yes. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's very like, the, okay. there's lots of flashbacks. There's lots of narration. It's a very similar movie to what we just watched. Um, I would argue, I think it's probably a little bit more accessible because like it's, you know, there are more normal scenes where like there's a story happening as opposed to all mm. taking place in like a war zone but then there are there's also like there's like a 40 minute stretch of this movie that's like one of the craziest things you've ever seen in a movie <laughs> oh man um 
it's like what is happening now for like half an hour. Uh, but it's also very cool. So I mean, uh, it's 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 a complicated movie. People, uh, it's very polarizing. Some people think it's like one of the best movies ever made. Some people who I know think it's horrible. Um, and I and I hear both sides. Uh, so it is on HBO Go. Yes, um, it's on HBO. High Fidelity is not anywhere, and does not look like Frequency is anywhere. Also, uh, oh, Frequency is on Cinemax. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, so it's interesting. Two outside. movies about fathers and sons. Um, yeah, that's also like, true. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm leaning towards I'm leaning towards Tree Life because I would really like I to see that. Too. I think it would be an interesting discussion. I just think it's like uh, I, I think High Fidelity would just be like just like nice and fun. Like even Frequency is a little depressing. Like High Fidelity. Yeah. Like I would rather do High Fidelity than Frequency. Um, I think I agree with that. Like high fidelity is the two. pick that. So let's I, knock out uh, frequency. Yeah. Um, high fidelity I'll, is the one that I got the most excited about because I just haven't seen it in a while, and it would be really fun to revisit. And uh, yeah, that's why I picked it. As and I did just finish the TV show earlier this year, so yeah. um, which is on Hulu. I'm kind of surprised the movie's not on Hulu if they have the TV show on Hulu. I feel like yeah. that's a bad move. That is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to get to Tree of Life. Um, I would with too. Brad Pitt being in it and Sean Penn, I think there are ways that we could get to it. I think um, we have. I just don't think. In, I don't know. I just don't think I really am up for right now watching a movie about like our place in nature and the universe. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I I, I would be. I, I I could see myself watching this movie very soon because um, it's yeah. there's a word I'm trying to think of. It's not philosophical, but it's like uh, it's like it's like meditative. Yeah, like where you, uh, but it's like there's like it's where you're thinking about like your place in the world and. Uh, mm. Yes, this movie definitely evokes that. It's like it's, it, it's a lot of just like, what is this all? Why are we the way we are? Did we was there a chance for us to be another way? That sort of stuff. Um, I think I think we're all in agreement then that us and the listeners kind of need a break next week and let's give them let's give them the fun stuff. Let's give them our top five. Yeah, I think the top fidelity. five thing makes it fun with high fidelity. Yeah, um, let's all right. Yeah, I think high let's fidelity. Let's give them is our right. top fives and let's have some fun next week and give them high fidelity. What year was high fidelity? Was that that must have been around at this time, around nineteen ninety eight? What ninety eight? Also, yeah. I don't uh, know. Oh wait, it's on my list. Uh, <laughs> what was the question? Sorry. What year was high fidelity? Uh, it 2000. was two thousand. It was two thousand. So. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. Uh, and there yeah. is Tim Robbins is in that movie, and I felt like I kept seeing Tim Robbins in the Thin Red Line, but it was not him. It was just people who looked yeah. like him. Yeah, and you know, I mean, we have Chinese act. We have you know Jack Black, who's also you know really fun to really fun to talk about his weird career, and you know, it's just it's a fun movie. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what connections about you know yeah. how we came into music, how music has shaped our lives. I mean, it'll I, I think we'll have a really good time with it. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting also to watch this in terms of like the only connection this is you know like we've talked about like stronger weak connections this is definitely a weaker connection it's one character who was in this big ensemble movie that is also the the lead in high fidelity so it's definitely a weak connection but i think it will be interesting to see what other connections we can come up with i think we also talked about how music drove thin red line and Mm -hmm. music drives high fidelity yeah, and I, I mean it's all about it's all about what music actually, means. I'll say that, and I will save it for next. And yeah. All right, let's wrap this up. So, cool. All right, so next week we are yeah. watching. Yeah, next week I was like, all right, I gotta go. He's like, I gotta go be a dad. Yeah. All right, so uh, next week we're watching High High Fidelity. Connection is John Cusack. 
and a movie that was uh, two years later. So, um, yes, next week, High Fidelity. It is not streaming anywhere that we can find, um, so you're going to have to pay to rent it, or maybe it'll pop up somewhere. Maybe it's on HBO Max. I don't know. I don't know if Letterboxd is updated. So, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to fun to watch that. I think it's going to be definitely a change of pace for us. If you've never seen High Fidelity, it is a uh, it is a fun romantic comedy. Um, and yes, it'll be, we'll talk about it. So let's uh, let's wrap things up. Brennan, where can people find you? What are you doing? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at BrunFids11 or on Twitter at FidzyBrennan. Uh, you know, the two podcasts at Post Show Recaps keep rolling along. Everything is super is getting into Thor the Dark World this week, which I just watched for the first time earlier tonight and thankfully did not talk about it for this podcast. Um, and then we're continuing to cover Lost and are on the episode SOS. Uh, other than that, not much else going on, you know? Cool. Same old, same old. All right. Av, how about you? Um, we are recording uh, later this week, season two, episode eight of Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, our Kirby-er, my Kirby Nice. Enthusiasm podcast with Alex Chester. The next episode up is entitled Shaq. Uh, we have reached out to Shaq to join us on the podcast, and I guess just tune in to find out if he shows. Oh man, I kind of hope he does. Good luck. I, I hope that. so too. That episode was that episode was very funny. I love that episode. So uh, yes, I agree. Is that Our... the is that the one where he? Breaks his sorry spoiler. Yeah, is that the one where yeah, he, he, uh, okay, he yeah, trips? Yeah, yeah. He trips Shaq, yeah, and Shaq yeah. like breaks uh, yeah, yeah. Terrace's knee. Okay, got it. Yeah, or That's does he? Fantastic. Yeah. Um. All I right. Yes. Av doesn't have to do the silly plug stuff at the end of his curb podcast because they just end it. Uh. So what I am doing, I this week launched a new podcast with my brother. It is called Digesting Dark, and it is a dark rewatch podcast leading up to the release of season three of Dark on Netflix. Dark is a fantastic German sci-fi time-traveling show. Um, There is tons of connections between characters. If you like this movie, uh, or if you like the movie ladder where there's lots of connections, we talk about the real world. This is connections all on a show. So uh, it's definitely a very interesting show to watch. Although the podcast that we have is all spoiler-filled, so it's only for people who have watched up to the end of season two. And then once season three comes out, then we'll start doing episode by episode of that season. It comes out at the end of June. Um, the first episode of Digesting Dark, though, is totally accessible to new people. It is just a non-spoiler podcast about why Dark is great. So it's basically this, but longer. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, you can find it anywhere that you are looking for podcasts. Um, it should be on Apple soon. It's not yet on Apple. So, again, it is called Digesting Dark. We have three or four episodes up. We're doing – we're trying to get caught up before the new season starts. And it's very fun. It's the first time my brother and I have podcasted regularly together. And uh, things are good between us. Uh, podcasting it's nice so um and you can find me doing trivia with uh with rob if you're a rob as a podcast patron or on a sparkles virtual trivia nights as well so hopefully you can join some of those i'm at brooks za on all platforms that is the end of my rant all right cool all right so uh thank you guys all for joining us i this we hope you had fun we hope that you enjoyed uh having some time to reflect back on the thin red line if you watched it and next week based on a connection to john cusack we will be watching High Fidelity, so get your top five lists ready. If you want to email in your top five lists for anything, we'll talk about them next week. That will be fun as well. Yeah. So, all right. Send us Thank your you. top fives. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. See you soon.